Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes and click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Crew at UGA podcast. I'm Kyler, a full-time staff member with Crew at UGA, and today is our last podcast episode of this semester. Oh, so sad. So sad. We've had a good run. We've had a good run. It's been amazing. It has changed the podcast landscape. I think it has. Across the world. Yep. (laughs) But we don't want to take credit for that. We're not going to point to ourselves in this. Right. It's just the magical thing that happened. We didn't expect it. No, we didn't expect it, but here we are. Yep. So this is our last episode of the fall 2020 semester. And with me today on this episode, like we've already heard, Alan. That's me. Yep. Crew UGA team leader. And then we also have Daniel with us again. Hey, guys. Yeah. I have no, I have nothing to add. To that. <laughs> I can't listen to that in any way. Hey, Daniels is here for the ride. I'm just, just here for the ride. For the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, bro. We'll carry you on our coattails. You just come along. Let's hey, do I'm it. just a loner. Yeah. I'm the staff loner here. Yeah. Man. So on today's episode, we're going to be answering questions that we got from our listeners. Now, thank you, everyone who sent in your questions. And if your question doesn't get answered, we're sorry, but we really couldn't do them all. Um, but we do want to uh, to take time to answer some of the questions we got. Now, in the show notes of this podcast, we're going to provide a list of all the questions we answer in order with a timestamp by each one of them. So as a listener, you can just kind of know what to expect and when to expect it in this episode. So that's what we're doing today. Now, let's jump right in, shall we? Okay. Our first question is, how do we share our faith in this pandemic or virtual world right now? I think that's a great question. I'm really thankful we've ever asked that. And so, Alan, how about you answer that for us? Yeah, this is a tough one because we feel so separated from people right now, right? But if we think about it, we're actually still having conversations with people, whether they're online or whether we're texting with friends or something like that. We still have contact with people. And of course, as students, you still have classes, you still have Zoom calls. Sometimes there's group projects you're working on. And so when it comes to sharing your faith in a situation like this, I think it's always helpful to remember just asking good questions mm. opens up so many doors. Yeah. And of course, it's so easy to do right now because what season are we in, gentlemen? Christmas. 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 <laughs> That's exactly right. And so honestly, it's so easy to be with a friend and be talking about Christmas and to just have a good question such as, what is Christmas like for you? Is it more of Santa and gifts or is it more spiritual with the birth of Jesus just drop that question and see what somebody says and kind of how they process that, you know, which direction do they lean and why? And then you can always follow that up with a general question. And one I like to ask is, do you have any kind of spiritual background? And just leave that wide open. You're not, you're not asking for anything specific, but their story. And then I think as they talk about that, you could even follow that with a couple of really good questions, such as how would you describe your relationship with God right now? And finally, you could ask a question such as, If you could know God personally, would you want to? And then you have a wide open door to say, well, let me tell you how that happened for me. And just asking good questions and listening to people's story, but turning it to a spiritual topic is kind of the easiest way to do that. And of course, with Christmas right now, turning it to a spiritual topic is super easy. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. And and like you said, these these can be questions you ask with friends, classmates, but also family members when you go back home. All of that. So these are great questions. They're so disarming. Just write them down, memorize them, 
they still come out so organic. Yeah, that's really good. Well, thanks, Alan. All right, so second question. What are your favorite Bible stories and why? And so, Daniel, if you had to narrow it down to one, oh, maybe one and a half. Narrowing it down uh, to one for Daniel. Come on, bro. Right. <laughs> no, we're going to try it. My people wrote the Bible. How yeah. you do that to me? Yeah, and so if you could narrow it down, what would be your favorite Bible story? That you oh, share? man. Okay, so before I even begin... I'm going to preface, this is a trick question for me because I love characters and character studies. Mm. So what like what I want to talk about here <laughs> is the full story of some of these like characters, especially like Old Testament characters, Joseph, Jonathan, Moses, Samuel, of course, Daniel. That's right, your name's um, Like those are my like favorites. But like if we're just talking about one story, like one quick like snapshot script in scripture, um, I think there's like two that come to mind. The first is the woman who broke the jar of nard at Jesus' feet mm. in the Gospels. And the second one, and just for the sake of the fact that it's Christmas time and also that this is a less known one, so what I'll talk about today is the story of Simeon okay. in Luke. So um, at the end of Luke in chapter 2, there's this brief little scene, this tiny little story where there's this man named Simeon and he is waiting for the Messiah. He's in the temple and it says in the story that he's been told by God he is going to see the salvation of his people. So he's been praying for his people. He spent his entire life praying for them and fasting for them and holding out hope that he will see God move for his people. And then in walks Jesus. Well, actually, in walks Mary and Joseph right. with baby Jesus, mm. walking in the temple to like dedicate him, basically to, to name him. And he feels the Holy Spirit move him, and he gets to hold God incarnate. He gets to literally hold God's salvation mm. in his arms. And he says this really amazing prayer. He literally, he's holding Jesus in his arms. He's praying and praising. And he says, thank you, Lord. Now I can die in peace for I've seen and held your salvation. Mm. And for me, like my prayer is to see, like for my own life, is to see the Lord answer my hopes and my dreams and prayers and bring salvation to my people, the people that I've ministered to and fight for so much that I can say at the end of my life, thank you, Lord. You've saved my people and answered my prayers. Now I can go to you in peace. Yeah, that's an awesome story. And very timely. Great story, especially at Christmas time. Yeah, Yeah. that's really cool. Alan, what about you? How would you answer that? What's your favorite Bible story? One of the ones we started with at the beginning of the fall in the first podcast. That's a great story, so That's I'm not right. going to do that one because we already did that. But I'll do a similar one. In Second Kings chapter 19, Ooh. there is a great story about a king from Assyria named Sennacherib coming to attack the city of Jerusalem. And this is right before uh, Israel and Judah are going into exile and Israel has been conquered. And he comes up to Jerusalem to conquer the city and fulfill the plans to go into exile. But in this story... He comes up, and it's such a great scene because it's recorded word for word. This person gets up, and he trash talks the God of Israel and trash talks the city of Jerusalem and says, why do you think your God's any different from all the other idols and the gods of the other nations I've conquered? I'm going to conquer you just like I conquered them. He can't do anything for you. And he just goes off mm. and then puts it all in a letter. And the king, Hezekiah, Here's all this. His people are under siege. They're in dire straits, and he repents, and he goes to the temple, and he actually spreads out the pages of the letter on the altar in the temple mm. and says, Lord, look at this. What are you going to do about this? You know what happens? So. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you have to read the story, right? But it's just this beautiful story of 
how much God cares for the glory of his name, how he hears the cries of his people, mm-hmm. even when we've been unfaithful and sinful, the power of repentance. Oh, it's just a fantastic story. So if you're looking for something to read over Christmas break and you kind of want to read a part of the Bible maybe you're not very familiar with, go to 2 Kings 19 and read that one. Okay, that's that sounds good. Can't wait. All right, so next question. What are your top three favorite spiritual or religious books? And so I'm actually going to answer this question. Personally, just to be honest, I'm not a huge reader. You know, I really don't read a ton of fiction or pleasure reading books. Uh, my wife Natalie does. She loves reading, but it's just not something I do much. But like many other things in life, I know that reading is a discipline. And so I choose to read because I know that it's good for me. And so all that to say, my top favorite books, spiritual religious books right now, first is All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. Now, I love this book because I actually read it back in like 2016 and it's, it's always stuck with me ever since then. I, I love it because when I read it, it was really just a book about how wonderful the grace of God is. And then when I read it back in 2016, I was amazed all over again about how beautiful the gospel was. And like I said, I mean, it's really stuck with me ever since. and It's one of my favorites. So All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. Second book is Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Now, I didn't read this book until actually this past summer, but it was awesome. Like, I loved it so much. And the book is is about the crucial Christian doctrine of God being Trinitarian, meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, most books about the Trinity can be really heady and confusing, and it's just really easy for me to get lost in what's going on. But what I loved about this book, The Lighting in the Trinity, is that, yes, it does talk about the mystery of the Trinity, um, but it does so in a way that really stirred up my affection for God mm-hmm. and it really helped me to love God the Father, love God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit even more. So mm-hmm. I really think one of, that's my, my second favorite book. Third, it's a book called Answering God, The Psalms as Tools for Prayer. And this is by Eugene Peterson. Now, Alan, you introduced this book to me, to our staff team this semester because we read it as a team. Mm-hmm. And it's been really cool for me because it talks about how the Psalms should be used to shape our prayers. And I have personally learned and grown so much through going through this book uh, with our staff team. And I'm just really thankful that I read it now because really my hope is that it will stick with me for the rest of my life uh, as I walk with God and enjoy Him through prayer. Now, those are top three. I'll sneak in a fourth if I can. Uh, it's <laughs> but, not really a book. <laughs> yeah, it's not really a book. It's, a, it's, it's more of a, a sermon turned into a little uh, book. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. This little book can be read in about 30 minutes. And even though it's short, it packs a punch. You know, I actually try to read this book at least once or twice a year um, because I just need to be reminded of, of the joy that this book talks about. So, so there's my top three with an additional fourth. So. Great Christmas list ideas right there. Yeah. All right, so our next question is actually about prayer. The question says, I know prayer is supposed to be really important and kind of foundational in my faith as a believer. But where do I start? What does daily prayer look like, and what are the different ways to pray or seek the Lord in prayer? So, Daniel, what advice would you give uh, in this area? So, um, awesome question. Uh, so, it's really interesting. I think there's four things I'd love to introduce um, if when we talk about prayer and how, where to start and how to start. So, first and foremost, I'll just say this. Prayer is simply an interaction with God Almighty. It is communicating with God. Stop. and period. Any communication with God is prayer. So whether it's silent or loud, whether it's musical or written down, if you are trying to communicate with God and get time with Him, that is prayer. 
Um, and so, yes, that means, yes, we, we pray in the sense that we talk to God and we give a, you know, give a prayer, we'll bow our heads, we put our hands together, give some reverence to him as we talk to him. But it also means every time you sing a worship song, that's supposed to be what you're singing to God. That is prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, journaling, if you are journaling and reflecting on what's been going on in your life or expressing your emotions or you, or you get clarity by writing things down, if you write that letter to God, that is prayer. Mm-hmm. Silence, if you're listening for God to do something in you, mm-hmm. that is prayer. Um, there's this really fancy Latin term called colloquy, which is really a, a fancy term. It literally means conversation. So when I have a lot of my my time with God is not quiet time. Yeah, I will get into a room alone and I will talk. It's and conversation will, it's time. It's very conversation <laughs> time. It's very loud. Um, my mom and, and I grew up in a church where we danced because we would dance with God. And that's very biblical in Psalms. You see talking about dancing a lot. So dancing can be prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different ways to pray. Prayer is just interacting with God. So in light of that, second point, um, when you're young, when you're first learning to talk, no one expects you to speak in complete sentences. Mm-hmm. When we first right. start, uh, when we first start praying, uh, we are toddlers in the arms of our Father, mm. and just like a good parent, whatever comes out of your mouth, if you're a toddler, is adorable <laughs> to your parent. Goo goo gaga, goo goo gaga is adorable and really is awesome. Mm. Uh, if you are a young Christian, that is exciting. That is awesome. God is excited about that. Um, he thinks whatever comes out of your mouth is beautiful. Mm. So what we're doing when we pray is learning to speak his language. That takes time, so you just start doing it. You don't learn. Babies don't learn language by sitting down by, by sitting down and learning in a school. This is how you do. They learn by watching and by doing mm. over time. So you just grow that relationship with time. Two last quick things. The third point. Uh, when you're worried about what to say, just in light of what we just talked about, if you're worried about what to say when you pray, um, pray the prayers and promises of Scripture. Scripture has a lot of really great prayers and a lot of really great promises. If you don't know what to say, say those. And then the fourth thing, uh, just a, a little tidbit, the measure of a prayer isn't how good it sounds. Hmm. The measure of how good a prayer is is not how much people are impressed by your language. The measure of a prayer's power is whether God answers it or not. And sometimes his best answers aren't always yes. <laughs> Yep. That's good. That's awesome. All right. So next question. Where is the best place to start reading the Bible? And do you have any tips for how to dive in? Alan, what would you say to that? So we're going from prayer to Bible reading. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hitting it all. Hitting it all. <laughs> the, uh, now this question, I am going to interpret it because it says what is the best place to start reading the Bible. So, so my interpretation of this question is let's say I haven't read the Bible before mm-hmm. or you're talking about a person who's just not really familiar with the Christian faith or with what the Bible says or something like that. And the way I would answer that for that person would be this. Jesus is God revealed in the flesh so that we could see him face to face, so that people could touch him, so that people could hear him. He is God's ultimate revelation of himself. That's right. And so the best way to encounter the Lord, I think, is to go to that part of the Bible where you see that. We have the record of of Jesus and who he is. And so if I were to meet with someone who said, I just want to start reading the Bible. I want to explore. How do I start? Where do I even begin with that? We have four Gospels. And the reason we don't just have one Gospel is Jesus is so important. We need multiple viewpoints of him. It's like we we look at him from different angles, like Mm -hmm. those 360-degree camera spins you you see on the football game sometimes. Yeah. I would pick maybe the Gospel of Luke or the Gospel of John. Those are very accessible to us. And you don't have to have a whole lot of knowledge about Jewish customs as much to read those two. But here's what I would do. 
I would start reading maybe a chapter a day in those Gospels. And all I would do is I would ask one question. I would just go and open it up and read that section and ask, what is Jesus like? Mm. Who is he? What is he like? When you look at Jesus, what do you see? Mm. And just get to know him that way. That is the best way to start reading the Bible and just encounter who is God. I think that would be my recommendation. So maybe if over the holidays you're talking with someone who's like, yeah, I've never really been into that, but I've been wanting to read or wanting to explore it a little bit. That's a great suggestion that you could give to somebody if that's not you personally. Yeah, that's a great word. That's a really good tip. It's really yeah. helpful. Thanks, Alan. All right, our next question. What are some ways I can grow closer to the Lord over Christmas break, especially if I have to self-isolate or quarantine? And so I'm going to answer this one as well. So what I would say is two things, and I'm going to unpack them a little bit. The first thing is have a plan, and the second thing is don't do it alone. All right, so Christmas break is an awesome time to rest and relax, enjoy time off from the normal busyness of the semester or whatever you've been doing. But it can also be pretty deceiving when it comes to walking with God. You know, for me, I know the tendency is to believe that I have so much free time. I will definitely pray and read and grow closer to God like I've never done before, even more so than I was doing during the semester. Well, actually, after personally experiencing my failure and my failed attempts in growing closer to God over Christmas break, I've learned that I have to have a plan going into it, Mm. and I cannot do it by myself. I have to do it with other people. Mm. And so the first part of, of developing that plan, I would encourage you to consider three things. And so the first thing is, what are my usual pitfalls or obstacles of growing closer to God? And so maybe consider the ways that you struggle with this already or ways you've struggled with this specifically over Christmas break. And so what are my pitfalls or what are the obstacles I need to be aware of when it comes to growing closer with God? The second thing I would say is, what are my goals or what are my desired outcomes? And so ask yourself, what do I want to be true of me once this break is over? And with this, maybe list priorities for yourself over the break or things you hope to accomplish, whether on a daily or weekly basis when it comes to this. And then the last thing, the third thing with this, make a schedule and stick to it. You know, I've heard it said, we don't plan to fail, but we fail to plan. (laughs) You know, having a schedule for your day or for your week will help you do the necessary things for your growth and your walk with God while it also really just frees you up to do the other things you want to do on your break. And so you're not trying to cram in your time with God if you make a schedule for it, and it frees you to do other things as well. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first part of having a plan. The second thing is with all of this, do not do it alone. Invite your Christian friends into this with you. Have some sort of regular check-in with someone from your community group or someone else that you love and trust. You know, share with them how you want to grow and ask them how they want to grow and find ways that maybe you can do that together. An example of this in my own life, this past week, uh, Thanksgiving break, me and a close friend, we committed to reading the book of Hosea together, two chapters a day throughout that week. And what we would do is we sent voice messages back and forth throughout the week just to share what we've been learning, what we've been seeing. Uh, As well, we would ask each other questions and we would share with one another how we can pray for one another. That all happened over voice messages. And it was awesome. It really helped me in that process of growing closer to God. With all that, I would encourage you to consider these two things. And then as you do that, rely on the Spirit to help you grow closer to God. That's really good, Kyle. I love that. You know, one of the things I love that you talk about in there is it's Christmas vacation. 
And how hard is it to have discipline during a vacation? Because typically we think of vacation and we vacate. We yeah. just vacate all responsibility, right. vacate all our habits. Mm-hmm. But you know what? To walk with God, you can't really do that. You no. can set yourself up on vacation to rest, to get a change of pace. Yeah. But don't just vacate all of your discipline. Set an yeah. alarm clock in the morning or make a schedule that you're going to be spending time with the Lord. I just, man, we just don't say that enough. Yeah. So that's a great word. Yeah. Thanks, mm-hmm. Al. All right, next question. What does it mean to operate under God's law versus man's law? What is being in the world but not of this world? And so I think that's a really good question. Alan, how would you explain this? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious as to what was the impetus of this question. Um, maybe it was you know some of the conversations that go back and forth with people about whether churches should be meeting during COVID or not or something like that. But actually, when I read the question... The way it's written, I see this as kind of two different questions, so I'm going to answer both. But I also see that there's a link there, and it's this idea of how much are we responsible to participate with the world and the things the world says and the things people do and request or even pass laws for, and how much are we not? And so I'm going to answer this more from the first half of the question having to do with that and the second question, that phrase being in the world and not of the world. Under the God's law versus man's law thing, you know, there's this idea that these two things are opposed to each other. That's not always true. Honestly, you can read several places in Scripture, such as in Romans chapter 13, Acts chapter 4, that talk about our relationship to governing authorities. And one of the things that you see is God has created the state as authority in people's lives. And that's godly, that we have order, that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, it says in First Timothy 2. And we want to pray for those in leadership, and we want to obey them. When do we not obey? If you read the story in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John get dragged before the Jewish authorities, they command them basically to cease preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. Well, can they do that? No, can't do that. Because the Lord has given them that. And they say, judge for yourselves whether it is proper for us to obey you, or to obey God. And there's this idea of, which would you rather have us do? Which should we do, obey man or obey God? Well, obviously it's the latter, but why is that? It's because God is the higher authority. So when the higher authority contradicts the lower authority, the higher authority is the one you follow, right? And that's how it is. There are times that God's law and his commands on us directly contradict man's laws. Um, In some countries, there are laws on the books that say you are not allowed to evangelize. Well, Sorry, we can't obey that law. Mm-hmm. There's a higher authority that contradicts that law. But there are so many laws that government pass, we do need to follow. And, and just because you might feel that that's inconvenient or you might feel oh, that infringes on my faith, well, you actually need to stop and think, does this actually directly contradict something that God has told us? Mm-hmm. Or can I obey God and obey the state authorities he's put mm-hmm. over me at the same time? That's good. That's a question you have to ask. But let's talk about the heart side of this, right? Because in a sense, the question under the question is, how much do I attach to this world? And how much am I involved in this world? And how yeah. much do I pull out of it? Yeah. There's this phrase that we often say, being in the world, but not of the world, that this person put in here, mm-hmm. right? As if being a Christian means, well, I just have to kind of detach from everything in the world. I can't watch football anymore. <laughs> I can't do, you know. <laughs> the, no. Oh, What does that mean, being in the world but not of the world? I think the passage that speaks to this the best is in 1 John chapter 2. This is how it describes the world. In other words, the world being that community 
or philosophy that kind of pervades our lives that is not godly, that points us away from the Lord and toward materialistic, temporal things. Mm. That's the world viewpoint. When Scripture uses the phrase the world, that's what it means. And here's what this passage in 1 John 2.15 says. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, which is a good description of the world, right? Mm. These come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And there you see, I think, where the two questions kind of overlap. There's this idea of doing the will of God, not the will of the world, when the world is defined as this cravings of sinful man, boasting, seeking my own selfish ambition, lust and greed, right? right. That's contrary to the will of God. Mm. Well, the way that we can still be in the world, loving people, participating in society, doing good work, mm-hmm. contributing, is that we can do those things but not love. And the command is, do not love the world or anything in the world. In other words, our heart's affection should not be on those sinful things, but on the Lord. That is how a person is in the world, but not of the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally does. And like the the silly, but really good example of football. Like, we can enjoy watching football, but football is not our God. Our hope is not in Our love isn't for football. But we can definitely do that, enjoy that with people we do love. Yeah, exactly. All things are good if they are received from the Lord with thanksgiving. Mm. And these are good things as long as we don't make them our God. Now, of course, there are some things in the world that are bad things. And, of course, our affection should never be set on those things at all. Mm. And it listed some of those in that verse. But we can still be in the world, but not loving the world, not of the world. Yeah, Great question. That's great. That's a great answer. All right, our very last question. And going back to the oh, spirit baby. of Christmas. So, so here we go. Last question. The spirit of Christmas. <laughs> Didn't know Just we were for y'all listeners. <laughs> Just for y'all. We're going to sing carols at the end of this if you want to stay and carol with us. <laughs> we are not going to do that. <laughs> That's where I draw the line. <laughs> oh All right. Crew listeners, if you were wondering whether this is ad-libbed or not. That was. There's your answer. <laughs> All right. Last question. Here we go. How did Jesus... Fulfill the expectations of the Messiah. All right, so take us home, Daniel. How would you answer that? Oh, my goodness. What a loaded theological question there. Okay, so um, we need to be brief. So I'm going to hit this uh, as much of this as possible as fast as possible. Um, So for our listeners, um, let's start with uh, what does that word Messiah even mean? So uh, when we hear the word Messiah, um, it's the Hebrew word for Christ, um, it actually translates to king. So every time you hear someone, this fun little fact, every time you hear someone say Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. That just means Jesus is king. So it's not Mary Christ no. or Joseph no, Christ? it's really not. Um, whether, wow. So whenever someone says Jesus Christ, what they're saying, whether they realize it or not, they're calling Jesus king. All right. It's hmm. kind of a fun little fact. Hmm. So um, in the Old Testament, the Jews were told by God that their greatest king, David, would have this descendant, who would be great in the world. And for hundreds of years, prophets, um, Jewish prophets, you can read this through the Old Testament, um, would speak about that anointing, that kingship, and how it was going to come. And what the Bible scholars of the ancient world, especially by the time of Jesus, um, what they kind of started to do uh, was see this common thread in the Old Testament of the prophecies of this Jewish king, this Jewish Messiah, this Jewish Christ, who is going to conquer the world 
and save the world. That was the common theme in all the prophecies. And if you look up all these messianic prophecies, especially in Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Ezekiel, the major prophets, you'll see it's just a common thread. There's going to be this king. He's going to conquer and he's going to save the world. Mm -hmm. So what is interesting about Jesus is that he ended up actually fulfilling literally hundreds of these prophecies. There are hundreds of them in the Old Testament, mm. from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament to Micah. There are these messianic prophecies, and for one person to fit the bill so specifically with prophecies that were written about this Messiah figure hundreds, even thousands of years before him, it's pretty incredible in terms of statistics. Mm. So that is one way he, he specifically fulfilled all these hundreds of prophecies over the course of thousands of years. Now, the second thing, and, and this is what I'm gonna hone in on, what does it mean that, that Jesus fulfilled the expectations of the Messiah? This is something I think is just really cool. Um, the most incredible way, right, the overarching theme of the Messiah is he's gonna be this Jewish king that saves the world and that conquers the world. It's like, how do you hold those two things at once? Well, the core of what it means that Jesus fulfills these messianic prophecies is that he doesn't just check a bunch of these specific boxes. Jesus has actually conquered the world and saved it. Um, there is this poem called One Solitary Life. It's really famous. You can look it up. Um, but what it says, it kind of highlights this theme um, that if you look at world history, literally what do we separate time with? the birth of Jesus, B.C., A.D., even if you go by B.C.E., even if, if you go with C.E., Common Era, before Common Era, what splits it is the birth of Christ. And if you look at the most songs that have ever been written, who the main character is or who the figure is or what the idea is, it is Jesus. If you look at who is the most well-known person in history, if you look up the Times, most famous person in history, the name that comes up is Jesus. And the reality is, uh, whether you acknowledge him as king or not, every time you say Jesus Christ, whether you, whether you acknowledge him as king or not, Jesus has conquered the world. He is the single most famous person in all of human history. And what that poem brings up, that one solitary life poem brings up, it says, you know, think about it. He never sailed a ship. He never led an army. He never had any sort of position of authority or government. He never did any, had any money. <laughs> He was an itinerant little preacher who loved people and apparently did miracles and is famous, most famous, for dying and beating death. That is what he is famed for. But that legacy, that love that he poured into and out over us has literally made him the conqueror of time itself. Yeah. Napoleon actually was getting to the end of his life. He was thinking about this because he was this great conqueror. He conquered the entire European Continent. He got to the end of his life. You can actually read this in, at the end of his journals as he's reflecting on the end of his life. Napoleon actually wrote this down. He said, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. The difference between him and all others is an eternity. Great conquerors like myself, Charlemagne, Caesar Augustus, we founded these great empires, but upon what were they founded? Force. Hmm. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and today millions would die for him. And is the end of Napoleon Bonaparte, the Great Conqueror's Journal, just reads this. History knows no conqueror like Christ. And that's what it means that Jesus is our Messiah. Yeah. It's really good. Wow. Merry Christmas. I feel like in the middle of that answer, we should like fade in the Christmas music and be like, we should. and now uh, we hope you're in the spirit of Christmas because right. Jesus is coming. Yeah. Mm. Great. That's so good. Yeah. Wow. Well, there you have it. Our last episode of the semester. And I think it was a great one. Um, Indeed. Yeah, and all these questions were really, 
Really cool. So thanks for everyone listening who sent these questions in. And just thank you so much this entire semester for keeping up with us on the Crew UGA podcast, really for making this thing possible and, uh, and, and being a part of it. And so we really enjoy doing it. And if you have any ideas for next semester of how we can make this thing better, let us know. And if you want to be a guest on the podcast and you want to do an interview, let us know for that too. And, uh, and we'll see what we can do. But we hope you all have an amazing Christmas break and we will be back in January. Merry Christmas, guys.